This is the John Oakley Show podcast. On a great day for talk radio, last day of the working week, last day of this year, this calendar year for me, and uh, then we'll come back early in January. That being said, uh, let's wrap, as we do on a Friday, on a high note with uh, our friend Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. Conrad, how are you this afternoon? I'm fine, thanks, John. How are you? Likewise, fine. Listen, let me ask you something as a historian, because I know you've written tomes on uh, FDR, Reagan, I think, Trump. Uh, how do you think history's... Nixon, not Reagan. Nixon, my apologies. Uh, how's history going to view the Trump impeachment saga? Let's say with a, a little bit of detachment years from now as they look back on it, people aren't as deranged or emotional uh, caught up in that. Uh, how do you think that's going to be perceived? A farce. Just a sideshow. I mean, it's not going anywhere. Uh, if they, if she sends it to the Senate, it's going to be thrown out like a dead mouse. They they are alleging uh, they are alleging two counts, and uh, there's a wide there's there's a large body of opinion that holds that to impeach a president and remove him, he has to be convicted of one of the things cited in the Constitution. There were four categories: treason bribery, a high crime, or a misdemeanor as, as, as grievous as a high crime. And uh, they didn't allege any of those, and they have no proof for what they did allege. I mean, their idea of abuse of power essentially is that he was elected, and they don't cite anything that is in the slightest bit of derogation from the Constitution or a statutory uh, infraction. And, and the second charge, contempt of the Congress. Now, anyone who looks at this Congress and isn't contemptuous of it needs a psychiatrist. But apart from that, uh, there, there is no such charge. They're co-equal branches. And the Intelligence Committee purported to investigate the president, but gave him absolutely none of the rights assured to a defendant in the Bill of Rights. He, he, his lawyer couldn't be present. They couldn't call their own witnesses. They couldn't interrogate the majority Democratic chosen witnesses. It, it was uh, just a kangaroo court, and it, it didn't even deal with most of the issues it claimed to be addressing, and made no effort to compel the presence of witnesses who didn't wish to come. And uh, there was no reason for the President of the United States to pay any attention to that, and he didn't. He essentially told them to stuff it. And, and you know, one branch can do that to the other. If you wanted to adjudicate it, you've got to go to the third branch, the courts. And they didn't do that. So it, it isn't a real impeachment. And and uh, if it is received in the Senate, it will be thrown out quite quickly, as it deserves to be. And, uh, and, you know, life goes on. But I don't know why they did it. They thought they would attach some stigma uh, to the president by this tremendous campaign to say, you know, half half the people think that he committed crimes, which they don't. The polls are crumbling now. And two... Uh, the only reason the Republicans are stonewalling is out of blind, stupid loyalty to their leader. They know as well as we do that he's guilty. Well, because the Democrats have such influence in the national political media, which is countered by Trump's support in social media and the talk shows on radio, uh, that, that does have an impact. But essentially, the people who want to believe Trump is bad will believe he's bad, and that, that, that doesn't change anything. And insofar as there is an independent or flexible vote in the middle, it is now shifting to, to Trump. He's up five to eight points in the polls, and there's no poll that shows a majority to impeach now. So, I mean, if, if Pelosi just doesn't send it to the Senate, it will be an even bigger joke than if she does. But either way, it's not going anywhere. It's a dead pigeon.
<laughs> Dead Pigeon with Conrad Black, author, commentator, historian. So, you know, you mentioned Pelosi. She's not going to send these articles of impeachment that they voted on in the House to the Senate. She's delaying. Some say this is brinksmanship with McConnell. He's the uh, Senate majority leader there, the Republican. Well, he'd be happy to spend uh, January doing other things than uh, than a spurious impeachment trial. I mean, he'll he'll deal with it if it gets there, because that's what the Constitution requires him to do. But, but as I understand it, the reason she's giving for her delay is because of the manner in which McConnell has said he will conduct the trial if it, if it does get to the Senate. Well, uh, the Constitution of the United States, which is governing in these matters, obviously it's the ultimate authority, it is absolutely clear that the House of Representatives has the sole authority to impeach a president, and the Senate has the sole authority to conduct the trial. Well, Pelosi, as leader of the majority in the House, conducted the vote and got the vote she asked for. But McConnell is the leader of the Senate, and and uh, he'll uh, he'll um, you know he'll conduct it the way he wants. He'll just have a vote, and the vote, I, you know, as you know, there are hundred senators. You need sixty-seven of them to pitch a president. Right. Uh, and the Republicans have fifty-three of them, and none of them are bolting. So, yeah. the, you know, the Dems, even if all of the Democrats hold firm, they're twenty votes short. It's, you know, it's it's not exactly suspenseful. Yeah, and Pelosi's trying to dictate the terms of engagement. So uh, we've got this brinksmanship playing out, uh, and of course, you know, the public opinion. You know, as you said, uh, the people who have made up their minds that, you know, Trump is evil incarnate, uh, they're pretty resolute and confident in their perception. Like, for example, when you talked about uh, all this exculpatory stuff, you know, that uh, the abuse of power was ill-defined, it wasn't high crimes, misdemeanors, bribery or treason. So but they see it as such. I mean, you can go blue in the face trying to explain, as you just did, that this is open to all kinds of interpretation. I mean, it, it tells me that, you know, uh, you've got... These two tribes and uh, opinion has solidified. I just wonder if there's any putting the genie back in the bottle. Like uh, what happens, Mitch McConnell said in the Senate floor the other day, any time you get a president from the other party and if you've got a majority in the House, impeachment will be the watchword of the day. It'll just go on unabated now. Well, that's why I wrote in the National Review in in the United States that uh, I thought that if, if the Speaker sends the bill of impeachment to the Senate leader, McConnell should ask the Supreme Court in a referral and say, you know, we we want the Supreme Court to tell us, are the grounds of impeachment bribery, treason, a high crime equivalent to bribery or treason, or a misdemeanor equivalent to bribery or treason? Or is it, as the majority in the House are saying, the Speaker's saying, and in fairness, former President Ford, who was a very fair-minded man, was all, uh, before that, as you know, not only vice president, but the minority leader of the House of Representatives, he said that, that the impeachment is for any grounds the House of Representatives says it is. And I think it would be a good thing to have the Supreme Court say, which is the case here. Can it be what you just said? Every time the House of Representatives and the White House are in different hands, I mean, parties are different in the two, uh, the impeachment may come rolling out like a non-confidence motion in our parliament or the British or the Israeli, or, or, or is it it's to impeach a president you need to have serious evidence of one of these four things? Uh, that's the only way to prevent this becoming a trivial, nonsensical thing that is just what's called in the book of practice frivolous and vexatious litigation. Again, with Conrad Black, let me ask you about uh, something else where the plot is thickening around the uh, Trump campaign and early presidency. Now these intel agencies, uh, it's been drawn into disrepute and question, you know, the top two guys at the FBI, the top guy at the CIA, the, you know, the Brennans, the Clappers, the Comeys, uh, McCabe, and so on and so forth. Uh, 
I mean, this is what the uh, inspector general came up with. Then you've got this uh, special prosecutor from Connecticut, uh, Durham, there looking into. I mean, uh, I don't know. Do we lend a lot of credence to what they have to say in their reports? Is that verification of a so-called deep state? I wouldn't use the phrase deep state, and I never have used it. I, I think that implies too sinister and dubious a conspiracy. I think what what you do have, though, is a, a, you had a community of opinion that was appalled by Trump, and, and it, it, it covered practically all the Democrats, but most of the Republicans as well, of, of that traditional political community in Washington and around Washington. And, and they were appalled at Trump. He said he was coming to Washington to drain the swamp and throw them all out, that they'd misgoverned the country for 20 years. Uh, and and he, did, you know, he was running against the Bushes as much as Obama and the Clintons. And, and I think they, it's clear they got carried away. And the Clapper and Brennan, whom you mentioned, the head of the National and Central Intelligence, were up to their eyeballs in this fraud about Russia colluding with Trump to rig the election. And, and, and I think the United States is going to, as, as a result of Durham's investigations and whatever he does, is, is going to entrench in law. I mean, it may prosecute some very prominent people, but we must wait for it to see if it happens. And if it happens, we have to give them the benefit of the presumption of innocence unless they're found guilty. But, but, but I think whatever happens in that regard, you will entrench in law in the United States, as should have been done a long time ago, the requirement that rests upon the armed forces to be absolutely politically neutral. And I think President Thomas Jefferson, though he's a very renowned figure in American history, has not received the credit he deserves for this one particular thing of setting up the West Point Military Academy for the purpose of assuring that the officer class in the United States was never engaged in politics. They've had many generals and colonels like Theodore Roosevelt as president or presidential candidates, but not while I've been in the armed forces. And, and I think we have to get there with the federal police and the intelligence agencies, too. They can obviously they vote how they want and they can do what they want when they've retired. But they absolutely should not be meddling in politics. And it's extremely dangerous when they have. Yeah, it's pretty unsettling, all this stuff playing out stateside. Now, uh, closer to home, I'll ask you last question. Justin Trudeau, you know, a lot of people are saying, what's he doing? Uh, Quebec's Bill 21, you know, this says that uh, yeah. you can't wear religious garb in the public square if you're a judge, you're a teacher, a police officer, so on. Uh, you surprised he hasn't shown more moral courage on this? What's he doing? He's staying away, he's not weighed in on it. Well, I, I, I'm, it's a difficult one for him uh, because, of course, it is an outrage. I mean, people should be able to uh, wear a religious uh, symbol or slogan or whatever they want, as long as it's not an offense to public taste, as long as it's not full of four-letter words, you know, or hostile to other groups or anything. But if someone wants to wear a, a crucifix or a Star of David or a scimitar or, or any, you know, anything uh, that implies affiliation for or at least is a symbol of a recognized symbol of religious group. There's nothing wrong with that, and abridging it is an abridgment of freedom, in my opinion, and freedom of expression as well as uh, just the freedom of one's person to dress as you wish within reason. Uh, on the other hand, I have to say this: that I think it's a trap set by the government of Quebec, and they're trying to goad the federal government into making an issue out of it because it gets tied in 
with, with nationalist issues in Quebec, and in particular the intellectual renunciation of the place of religion, the Catholic Church, in fact, in the history of that province, because it is only the Roman Catholic Church that preserved the French culture and language in Quebec for 200 years. They, fill, you know, they uh, provided the personnel for the schools and the hospitals and the universities of, and on the French side of Quebec, which is 80% of it. And, and, and this embarrasses and irritates the present intelligentsia in that province. But that combined with their nationalist effort to try and mousetrap the federal government into intervening on a civil liberties issue where the great majority of Quebec, one, is, is affected by either the factors I mentioned or is absolutely fed up, as a great many Canadians, French, English, and other are, with the agitations of militant Islamists. And, and uh, in my view, and I, I, may, I admit I'm a bit of a voice in the wilderness here, but you asked my opinion, you courteous enough to ask me that, so we'll give it to you, is that the Legault and his government are trying to trap Trudeau into taking a position that enables him to rally all the nationalists in Quebec and put the gun to Ottawa's head. And this time, because this federal government, Trudeau and Bill Morneau, have made such a horrible mess of the economy of this country, uh, Quebec will be offering, if they go for a referendum, not only their own country, which is a dream that's been alive in the French Canadians ever since the French left in 1763, but also a tax cut. And, I, you know, we, we, we only won the last referendum by less than 1%. I, w I wouldn't count on Quebec voting against a tax cut of area. So I understand that Justin's hesitant, but he has only himself to blame for getting into this mess. All right. Conrad. Wish you the merriest of Christmases, good New Year, and uh, we'll talk on the other side. Uh, John, I apologize to you and your listeners once again for being so loquacious, but you asked me complicated <laughs> questions, and I'm trying to give you comprehensive answers. But very best to you, all your listeners, and let's all of us have a great year in 2020. We appreciate your grand eloquence. <laughs> well, I, it's worth what you pay me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, it's always the bottom line. Conrad Black, author, commentator, and historian. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.